But Dan, my life is just not inspiring to others. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, have you ever felt like that? You know you're good, but it just doesn't seem that anyone cares. Apparently, excellence or being really good at something is not enough. I mean, how can you inspire others so they rally to your cause and see you as a leader? Well, hey, I've got seven traits that can transform your success. Stick with us. Here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Well, this is not a question, really. I surpassed my goal for 2016. We were shooting for 300,000, but did somewhere in the neighborhood of 550,000 in total sales. I'm going to tell you what that young guy did. Here's one. I'm a campus minister at a top 10 university, and it is not going well. How about this? Dan, I make very little income by picking up 10-cent cans and have large gaps between traditional employment. How should I handle this on a job application and or resume? Dan, I want to leave my job, but I don't want to be selfish in any way. My conscience tells me not to let people down. And then what makes a person inspiring? And what can those of us who are not naturally inspiring do to grow in this area? Great, great questions. Well, we got a lot to cover today. Here's our quotation. One of my old favorites comes from Langston Hughes, who said, Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is like a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Now, there's actually another stanza that I know it well. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Isn't that a great first line? Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, Life is like a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Well, we're going to look at that and why that plays out in what you're doing, what I'm doing every single day. Golly, I don't want to be a broken-winged bird. I want to be an eagle. You know my affinity for eagles, why I love them. I love the symbolism, the traits that they embody so clearly. Well, we got a couple events coming up here, as you know. Our next one is going to be Innovate. People are getting excited about that. There was just an article in the Sunday Tennessean. Uh, Chad Jeffers came out. We did an interview together. Young lady Angela Fole did a great, great interview on the event coming up and just the concept of how to start or grow a business, you know, how to turn your creativity, your art into something that uh, releases your passion and also puts money in the bank. Anyway, that's Innovate May 11th and 12th right here. Chad Jeffers will be here. Chad being the guitarist with Carrie Underwood, but got other people too. Bob Baker, who is the author of The Empowered Artist. Bob is going to do an impromptu thing with some volunteers just in the participants. Going to uh, pull them out, work with them, have them do a little impromptu kind of uh, drama. So we're going to engage you in that event and then of course we have coaching with excellence coming up on may 25th and 26th a premier event where we teach you how to take what you may already be doing and how to position yourself to be a profitable coach 
Well, this comes from Todd. Got just a couple of fun things to start with here. We're going to integrate a lot of success stories just in the stories today. But Todd says, on last week's podcast, you mentioned another Todd who was selling BMW and Land Rover parts, and he also had de- developed a software for this business as well. Do you have any contact information or website for him? Um, it says, I've started my own car flipping business, but want to also explore car parts sales as well, since that's what I've been doing at a dealership for many years as a career. Always enjoy your show. Look forward to it every week. Well, I already connected the Todds together. Yeah, there was a Todd who had developed a system of software for selling BMW and rubber parts. So connected them together. I do that a lot. When I open the magic mailbox with your questions in there, a lot of you are asking for connection to other people. And I do that readily. I mean, that's just something that is part of being part of the community. You know, this is not something where we stand behind the curtain. So if there's a way to connect people with common kind of interest, yeah, I do that readily. And, and people always respond well to that. Now, here's another kind of car story. You know, I like car ideas. And I'm going to go back a little bit because this started. These are the kind of stories that we're seeing in 48dayseagles.com. So check it out. If you're not a member of that community yet, there's some things that are happening in there that are pretty phenomenal. Now, this started over in 48days.net, but uh, this was posted by Tyler Fuller back in October of 2014. And Tyler says, we just finally applied for our business license yesterday. Leading Edge Glass is now open. We're still renovating our lease space, building an office and a bathroom, but we are also completely mobile, able to do replacements on site at dealerships and body shops. So this is glass replacement. That's a partnership with my best friend and I, which we've been working together for the past three to five years. Um, we're also going to be auto and boat detailing. I said, figure I had to post here that I am finally following my dream and opening my own business, doing what I love. Thank you, 48 Days, uh, the book that opened my eyes that I wasn't happy where I was, and I needed to start looking for what truly makes me love my work. Like they say, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. So this was in October of 2014. Now, I'm just going to scan because this is a, tr- a, a tree, train that has been developing since then. So that's two and a half years. So we jump to December. That's three months later. And Tyler says, okay, we're at three months. I have to update We have almost a half a dozen body shop clients, at least one dealership client, and most of the trucking companies and repair facilities in our city. This has kept us busy enough to pay the bills for the first two months of being open, but without being able to take a paycheck. All right, that's three months later. We're looking, he says, we're looking to open up in another town. Okay, now we jump to January of 2016. So this is almost, well, this is, we were in uh, December of 2014, so a little over a year. And Tyler says, after telling up our first full year in business, we did just a hair over $300,000 in total sales. And this year is looking amazing so far. Our competitors have become so complacent or just plain don't know how to have a successful company. And I still thank Dan for opening my eyes to what a good employee, employer and business should look like, act like, and be like. And he says, we're looking to break 500000 this year. That was in January. 
of 2016. All right. So in April, now just this month, Tyler did an update again. Now, keep in mind, this was viewed by 553 people in the 48 Days community. There were tons of people that gave him advice along the way, encouragement, cheering him on. So this didn't just happen out of a vacuum. He shared openly what he was doing, terrified the first two months, couldn't even take a paycheck. But now we're two years in, and he said, I surpassed my goal for 2016. We did somewhere in the neighborhood of $550,000 in total sales. Awesome. So far in 2017, we are crushing it. My goal is 750000 in 217. We're hitting our targets. I've been able to take a great wage, at least a 2016 Chevy Colorado, loaded for my work and personal vehicle. We're still skyrocketing upwards with no hint of slowing down. Just thought I'd pop in and say things are going awesome. Well, I love your note, your updates, Tyler. Thank you so much, not only for sharing your initial sticking your toe in the water and stepping out into your own business, but that amazing success. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you who are listening, what if you knew that next month you were not going to get a paycheck? What if you knew the next two months you were not going to get a paycheck? But what if you knew that at the end of two years from now, you would have been that particular well, as a matter of fact, if we just, it, what if you knew that in the next two years, you could generate right at a million dollars doing something that you really love? Would that get your attention? Well, that's pretty much the typical pattern. When you do something that's unpredictable, non-traditional, creative, more entrepreneurial, yeah, you may start off with the first month where you don't make anything. I mean, you can listen to Cliff Ravenscraft. You listen to his story about going from an $87,000 a year job to the first year he did like $11,000. Ask him where he is now. Ask him if he wants to trade where he is now for that $87,000. Uh, no, I don't think so. Talk to Kent Julian, who in his first year did somewhere in the neighborhood of like $6,000 on the side. But he grew it and then made the full transition. Does he want to go back to the income that he was making as a denominational youth leader? Uh, no, not a chance. I love these kind of stories. Yeah, start, get in the game, be clear on what it is that you're doing, but then be committed and grow it just like Tyler's sharing about. Again, congratulations, Tyler Fuller. His business, incidentally, is in British Columbia. So it's way up in Canada, right up north of the state of Washington. So if however that factors in, you're thinking they're doing automotive auto glass. Got a really cool van. Got a, you can go to their site. You know what? Let me go back up here because I know that he put it. Yeah, his site is leadingedgeglass.ca. Leadingedgeglass.ca. So go ahead and check it out. Send him a note of congratulations for what he's doing. Okay, let's switch gears here a little bit. Brian says, Dan, what are your thoughts about recontacting a company that may or may not have responded to a previous 48 days job inquiry? The introduction letter, cover letter, phone call. Being in sales, I don't consider a prospect as dead until they tell me to, to stop calling. 
So I'm not against calling them again down the road. In the same way with my job search, I'm not talking about stalking a company, but I don't want to cross them off my list either just because my previous attempt wasn't successful. If I do try again, should I change anything in my approach? Well, you're, you're right on track, Brian. You're exactly right. There is no reason at all to not go back to a company where you applied before. I mean, you can go back every 30 days. I mean, keep in mind, when you apply, there's an instantaneous kind of response, typically. You know, where it may just not be the right time. They don't consider you. You know, and a lot of things would lead to them not responding at all to your inquiry. So you're right. Unless they specifically said, no, we don't want you. We'll never not want you. You can go right back again. I've got hundreds of stories of people who did exactly that. Where somebody went back and I tell people, you can go back once a week after you've interviewed with somebody. A lot of times when somebody interviews, then they just think, well, my part is finished. If they respond, then fine. No, after you've interviewed is where you really ought to up the responses from you up the inquiries from you. Hey, I really enjoyed interviewing, really excited about the possibilities that we talked about. Boom, you know, let me know where you are in the hiring decision-making. You don't hear anything? Go back again. I mean, I've got a lot of stories about um, hiring managers who specifically look for, especially if it's a sales position, for people who are persistent. There's a guy right here in Nashville that I know that, that interviews a lot for sales positions. So here's how he sets it up. So Brian, let's say that you interviewed with him and on a Friday and he says, man, this looks really great. I think you're going to be a great part of the team here. I tell you what, call me on Monday. We'll talk about next steps. Gee, you're all fired up. Have a great weekend. You tell people, Hey, I think I got this job, nothing writing specific yet, but you know, the guy said, looks great. Call me on Monday. We'll go to the next step. You call on Monday, no response. You call on Tuesday, leave a message, no response. Now, what are you starting to think? You're thinking, well, gee, talk to somebody else. You know, I didn't get the job after all. So you go on. This hiring manager specifically ignores the first three callbacks because he wants to see, are you persistent? Are you going to treat him like you would a prospective customer where you go back again, even if you think that you're hearing a no? Well, so you can go back to a company. Sure, go back to them. I mean, if you applied to a company 30 days ago and they still are a company that you'd like to be connected with, sure, go back to them again. You may have somebody totally new that's reviewing your information at that point. I mean, the person who was there 30 days ago may be gone. And if they're not, it doesn't matter anyway. You can send it to multiple departments within the same company. So you'll be consistently persistent just like you would in selling because you are in fact doing that you're selling a product and that product is you and the more that you view it in that way the better you'll have success luke says this is just kind of cool he says what if we could change the dash on our tombstone representing the years of our life to an exclamation point <laughs> hey that that wouldn't that be cool so you have there you know 1950 to 2010 or whatever it happens to be rather than 1950 dash 2010 1950 exclamation point to that. I like that. I like that. I don't think I'm going to have a tombstone or I may uh, steal that idea, but I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, I'm probably not going to try to capture a plot of real estate for all eternity. Um, just uh, not something I'm interested in doing. That That's a topic for another day. I'm sure we got a lot of varied opinions on that particular issue. 
Okay, this here, here's a question. It says, Dan, I'm always encouraged regarding your Mennonite background and what you have thought to be com- what you have thought through to be comfortable producing and profiting from content you create. Okay, now that, that plays in to the question here. He wants me to change his name, so we'll call we'll call him Bill. So Bill says, I'm a campus minister at a top ten university and it is not going well. A few years into the job, what I feel most days is despair. I get by far the most fulfillment from opportunities I have to speak at other churches, retreats, and conferences. Within my denomination, I'm being requested more and more. My wife, mentors, and friends strongly affirm my gifting for such settings. I dream about speaking and creating content full time. I have 10 years of church parachurch ministry, and I can't finally, and I can finally admit to myself that I'm simply not a pastor and don't want to be. That said, I struggle with where to begin creating prophets ministering to Christians apart from a typical church setting. Any advice for me? Oh, yeah. Got a whole lot of advice for you, Bill, in your situation. Can you make a living? Can you thrive even while serving, ministering well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look around you at some of the people out there who you see who have pastoral background. Um, People like... John Maxwell, my goodness, look at what he's doing. People like Dave Ramsey, look at what he's doing. Uh, Kent Julian, you've heard me talk about Kent, who came out of a denominational youth pastor position, and he very carefully created a transition where he does speak and write. That's what he does. Has written multiple books. He speaks, does all his own bookings, doesn't go through a speaker's agency, his own bookings. I mean, he he just uh, put a note in our mastermind group recently. He's in my mastermind that he was going to be in, I think it was 12 states in eight days. May have that reversed one of them. But anyway, he's really out there a ton and uh, killing it in what he's doing. Now, he still has a heart of ministry. I mean, I certainly do. One of one of the things that I want to encourage you to do is to look up at the interview, the video interview that I did with Michael Hyatt. Now, it was a couple of years ago, but it's it's the most watched video, Michael says, of any that he's ever had. And, and you know, if you just if you just put in your Google search, Michael Hyatt, Dan Miller, I'm sure it's going to be the first thing that pops up. Just put in Michael Hyatt, Dan Miller. Um, and you know, it'll, it'll come up that how to make one hundred fifty thousand dollars this year sharing your message. So once you know your core message and that can be a message of inspiration encouragement, motivation, persuasion, enthusiasm. And I don't know what your core message is, what you speak about, but once you find your message, then it's simply a matter of finding other ways to allow people to experience the power of that message. That's where you then can go into, I mean, the things that I do. And as you know, you know, everything that I do grew out of a Sunday school class, but in having people come to the Sunday school class and then asking wow, I've got a son-in-law who's been without work for four months. You know, I want him to hear what you just talked to us about. What do you have I can give him? Well, I didn't have anything. And so I finally put together just a three-ring binder with my loose Sunday school notes in it, a little cassette stuck in the pocket of a the three-ring binder. That was my first product and started making that available to, for twenty four ninety five to people who, you know, obviously if somebody came to the class, it was free. But we had a lot of people outside the class asking for that. So, yeah, it's $24.95. Well, then I increased that to Internet Special. 
where I should it is $49, but, you know, on the Internet, you can get it for $39. On a period of a couple of years, I sold over $2 million worth of that little product. I started doing Saturday workshops that was essentially the same content that I was presenting in my Sunday school class, but I was then doing it as a Saturday workshop, $69, and we'd pack those out, 100, 110 people every time that I did it. At that, not only did they pay for coming to the live workshop, but we'd usually also sell another three or $4,000 worth of product on that given day. So I started doing that. I started using the disc profiles in my personal coaching with people, saw how powerful that was. So we make that available on our website. It's the hottest selling product that we've got where people go, they want to find out what kind of environments they work best in, how they would likely manage people, you know, what kind of environments they're most comfortable in. So we started making the disc available. Yeah, well, I make a lot of money on that. You know, then we started doing other product sales. Audios, a lot of the things that I do that are just themes that I talk about here on the podcast, I turn into audio products. And there was one that I did, Living, Loving, Learning, where I invited Joanne to come over and just talk about the life that we've created because we have so many people ask about that. Wow, not only did we do a podcast, we created an instant product. It's one of our hottest selling products, Living, Loving, Working. Yeah, Living, Loving, Working. But, uh, you know, so I turned into that you know people ask me gee what about the mastermind that you and dave ramsey had i said well you can't be in that you can't be in my personal 48 days mastermind perhaps but let me tell you how to start your own so i created a course 48 dollar course how to start your own mastermind that can transform your life so there's lots and lots of things that i've done like that now also we have affiliate income and once you know your core message you can promote content that is kind of in the same space. So I do a lot of promoting other kind of opportunities, other courses, books, events that are coming up. And yeah, I mean, I get a lot of income from affiliate income. There's no secret about that at all. But, you know, create your own model for how you can leverage the message that you have, Bill. Absolutely. You can move out of being a campus minister, which is very, you know, predictable, one kind of model for what it is that you're doing where you hope to get a little meager paycheck at the end of the week if people are contributing you may have to even raise your own support god forbid i hope you are not having to do that but anyway there's ways to take your core message your heart's passion and turn it into things that continue to bless people serve them well expansion of your ministry but put a whole lot of dollars in the bank absolutely now here's a question that comes from david he titled it in all caps brave but embarrassed. Now this is, you know, this is an interesting starting point, but that's what it is, a starting point. And as soon as we recognize it as such, then you decide, okay, where do I want to be a year from now? What do I need to do to make that a reality? What I just described. So David says, I make very little yearly income by picking up 10 cent cans and have large gaps between traditional employment. How should I handle this on a job application in their resume? Please note my work history before 2007 is pretty good. For example, I had 11 years of excellent employee work with the same company. Well, David, you know, you, you can do this. I mean, there, there are people today who take off. My, my son-in-law, Nathan, you know, married to my daughter, Ashley. You've heard me talk about them being on, they're living on the road. 
So he has no employment right now. Now, they have things really set up so they continue to create income, but he has no employment as such. So if they live on the road for two years, then he decides, eh, you know, I want to kind of engage again. I like being part of a team. He's a great team player, you know, so he would come back. What is he going to do with his, that gap where he says, geez, I just, you know, didn't focus on making income at all. I just kind of, you know, we just played for two years. Well, you don't put that at the top of a resume, but what you do in your case and in his is do a functional resume rather than a chronological one. So chronologically, you would show, gee, 2017, what have you done the last year? Well, pick up cans. You don't want to do that. So you do a functional resume. What are two or three really high areas of competence that you have? You know, is it that you're really great at graphic design, customer service, computer programming, software design, you know, whatever it is, you, you need to know that. What is it that would make you a candidate for a company to want to have you on their team? So highlight the areas of competence and with supporting documentation there. Now, here's how this plays out. I work with a lot of people who don't want to continue doing what they're doing. I just had some, oh, I know what it was, somebody that was a paralegal. And she didn't want to be identified by being in that profession, didn't want to continue that. But that was pretty much the gist of everything she's done in terms of paid employment. However, as a mom, she's been really involved in her children's school. So she, let's say that she was responsible for carpooling or transportation logistics. She, you know, helped with a fundraiser. She worked with the PTO organization. So we can take areas of competence fully supported by things that she did as a volunteer. You can do the same. You can have things on your resume that show areas of competence that you have, even if you've never been paid a penny for those. That's not misrepresented at all. What you want is to support areas of competence. So have a functional resume where that is the focus. I mean, people are going to make decisions on whether or not they want to see you based on that first, you know, six, eight seconds glance at a resume. So you want them to see those areas of competence. You may have certifications or credentials that you have, education, uh, academic degrees. You know, you want to have those. Somewhere in there, you know, you have to identify the time frame. But you can have the last two years as an example where, you know, you describe that you were uh, continuing your education, you know, or that you had your own company that you have a name for a company. You can provide a name for your company, even if in that company you were the chief picking up cans employee. You know, it really doesn't matter. But make the resume, not just a chronological snapshot of what you've done, make it a sales brochure for where you want to go. And that's how you approach that. Wow, well, let me move on here. Boy, we got a lot of them here I want to get to. Okay, this this um, lady, boy, I, she says, please hide my identity, which I hate because she has the most beautiful name I think I've ever seen. The wonderful alliteration in her name. But anyway, I'll bypass that. I'll protect you. I'll save you from that. And she says, Dan, I'm from the Philippines and currently working remotely as a writer. I started out as a VA in Upwork. For two years, I worked my way up the ladder, and now I'm in a really good position. I have a small online business. I import cosmetics and other health items from the U.S. and sell them locally here in the Philippines. 
I can say I have the best of both worlds being an employee and being an entrepreneur. But sometimes I find myself unhappy. I know that what truly makes me happy is running my business, but with my current situation, I can't just leave my job. My boss is counting on me, as well as the small team that we have because I also serve as their manager. I'm thinking to stay and just save up so I can invest more in the future when I decide to leave. Do you think this is a good idea or should I just follow what I'm passionate about now? I don't want to be selfish in any way. My conscience tells me not to let people down. Thanks for your advice. All right, well, let's go with Mary. Mary, I love your heart on this issue. I love your sense of responsibility. But I totally, totally do not want you to stay in your job out of a sense of obligation. It'll start to deteriorate your passion about the job and ultimately you'll end up resenting it. You can't stay there because you think you're doing your boss and the other employees a favor. That is not what you want to do. I had a guy come to me one time. Uh, he had worked for me for probably three years or so. His name was Dave and he came to me and said, uh, yeah, I've got this offer that came along, man, it's really incredible. You know, I'd increase my pay significantly. Uh, it's really a great fit for me, but I'm not going to go because the only thing that makes me a candidate for this position that I've been recruited for is the fact that you've invested in me, allowing me to go to workshops and seminars and pour it into me personally and the personal coaching that you've done. I'm the candidate they want because of what you've poured into me. So out of gratitude to you, I'm going to stay here. And I said, no, you're not. I said, you need to take this job. Well, he was flabbergasted. I said, Dave, I will be the biggest cheerleader in celebrating your success to move that I'm delighted that you've got an opportunity that while you've been here with me, you've had an opportunity to grow and mature and refine a higher level of skills. But I don't want you staying here because you feel obligated to me. Not a chance. You need to go. And he did. I mean, that's totally my feeling about that. Now here's an, here's another kind of psychological dynamic that's running on this. I talked to a guy been a year or so ago who is host of a radio show. Now, it's not Dave Ramsey. Don't go thinking there. I mean, Dave and I are friends, but no, this is, this is somebody else. Not that well-known. But anyway, has, a, has a, his own show, popular morning show in his market. Well, he, like you, Mary, said, you know, I really want to move on. But these listeners have nobody else to give them the truth. They have nobody else to depend on. You know, I'm their lifeline. And I mean, he went on and that kind of thing. And I let him go on for a little bit. He says, so I've, I've got to stay. And I said, you know, I think that's probably the most arrogant, egotistical thing I've heard anybody say in a couple of years. Well, he was flabbergasted as well. I said, those people aren't that dependent on you. There's no, their life is going to go on tomorrow. If you're gone, it's going to be a blimp on a radar screen. If you're gone, you know, they have real lives. Now that's an exaggerated case, but Mary, I'm going to say the same thing to you. Yes. Your boss is counting on you. Yes. The other team looks up to you and depends on you. That's a great position to be in. It would be 
a real detriment to your reputation if that were not true. If your boss could not count on you, and if the other people on your team did not look up to you as your manager, that would be a real negative mark on your character and your history. So, of course, your boss is counting on you. The other people love you. That's a perfect time to leave. And the fact that you are so clear on what it is that you want to do and already have it up and running and know that you could expand it if you moved into that. No, follow your heart, follow your passion. Don't let yourself be held back out of a sense of obligation for the people around you. Probably surprised some of you on that. I don't know. Hey, I'm, I'm a big one for you know, responsibility and commitment and integrity and all of that. But uh, I'm also big on recognizing your own unique path. And when you succumb to the expectations of others, it usually doesn't end up well for everybody involved. Well, the music there is just a reminder that you're listening to Real Life Questions here. Love to hear your questions. You can jump in anytime. Just shoot an email to me at askdan at 48days.com. You can go to the 48days.com website, and there's a little microphone on any page where you just click on the microphone, start talking, the magic of technology today, uh, where you can leave a message that way if you'd like. Or you can just go to the 48days podcast, and you can also leave your question there. But the easiest way probably is just to shoot an email to me at askdan at 48days.com. All right, Mark says, in as much as, oh, oh, he says, over the past week or so, I've heard the book E-Myth mentioned by you and others quite a bit, so I thought I'd better finally read it. Now, that's Michael Gerber's book. The original one was an E-Myth, and there's a, he, he created a brand out of that. There's all kinds of E-Myth revisited, E-Myth 4, blah, 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 all those kind of things. But anyway, E-Myth is that very, very strong message well, what what Michael talks about is that there's a tendency for somebody to move into a business and they end up doing things they're not really good at. So if, if we have Sally that bakes great apple pies, she says, gee, I'd open up a restaurant. So six months later, you know, she hasn't touched a pie in weeks. She's got somebody else making the pies now because she's dealing with you know, employees that don't show up. So she's out there serving, sweeping the floors, taking care of leasehold improvements, um, ma- managing sign permits, all those things that are workman's comp, all those things that are part of running a business. That's, that's what happens a lot. Starting a business takes people away from what it is they really do well. That's kind of the essence of the e-myth. So again, Mark says, in as much as we talk about being in business for ourselves in a 48 days community, doing work that we love, Michael Gerber author of E-Myth, seems to be saying that doing so is effectively not the right strategy. That is, being a technician is something you can enjoy doing only after you've built a systematized business that doesn't require your presence. How can one start doing something that he loves, realizing that it must not require his presence in order to be successful? This is quite a vexing conundrum. (laughs) Well, it is indeed. It is indeed. So this is like the plumber who is a technician but then starts a business and he's pulled away from just doing the plumbing work because of all the things required. And what Michael says, Michael Gerber says, and what Mark is asking his questions here is, you know, how do you build a business where it's not dependent on you? And the example that Michael Gerber uses a lot is McDonald's. So McDonald's 
is successful, not because they make great hamburgers. It's because they have systems in place that let you know you're going to get exactly the same thing if you walk into McDonald's in Franklin, Tennessee, or in Seattle, Washington. Systems are in place. And in having systems that are so clearly laid out, it doesn't require the manager to be doing every step of the process. Anybody can walk in because the systems are so clearly laid out. Now, as to your question, Mark, you don't start there. That is an overstatement when Michael talks about that. It takes a while to get there. When you're starting out, you do have to do everything yourself. Then you build your own systems over time, but it takes a long time. And I've been in business a long time. And at this point, yeah, it's clear that in, in a business that I have, there's probably 20, 25 different things that need to be done. I probably do two or three of those pretty well. That's where I spend my time. And I have people who do all the other things much better than I would be able to do that. But you don't start there. So be comfortable knowing that the first couple of years, you're going to be doing everything yourself. And then you build the systems out from there. Okay. Brandon says, this is, this is cool because I can identify with this. My father is a multi-generational dairy farmer and loves what he does. However, he works long hour days, 365 days a year. He's also the only one with complete knowledge of the ins and outs of everyday operations. He's great at what he does, but doesn't have an exit strategy. He feels if he were to sell the cows, he would lose his self-worth and all he's worked for. What advice would you give him? Wow, do I understand this question. I mean, I grew up on a farm, and yeah, I remember milking those cows, yeah, 365 days a year, twice a day. Didn't matter if it was Christmas, didn't matter if it was Sunday, didn't matter what it was, twice a day, every single day. What advice would you give him? All right, Brandon, here's the deal. Now, this, I'm going to move kind of in a philosophical area, but it's not difficult to understand. There has to be a why, not just a what. I mean, being a dairy farmer is a means of making a living. But there's probably a why behind what your dad is doing. Is it to make enough money so it won't be a burden on his children? I mean, if so, then explore leveraging what he has. And that could mean perhaps selling the farm and the cows. I mean, taking care of cows is certainly an honorable career, but but cows come and go. I mean, he's not obligated to the cows. I mean, what's the bigger purpose for your dad's life? Is he involved in the community, in a church, in foreign missions, in teaching young and upcoming farmers? Help him explore the why behind the daily routine of just working. I mean, my dad sold his dairy farm. He was, uh, well, he was 66 years old. Then he, so, you know, what is he going to do? Now, he got a lot of money for his farm, sold at a really good time. Uh, we, we had lived on nothing all the years he had the farm, but then realized that because he had plowed money back into the farm and prices had gone up exponentially that he was, he sold the farm and got a whole lot of money. So he sold the farm. It was not that old, but then he bought a van and he started driving for the Amish. And he spent the next 25 years doing just that. Now that really took him back to things that he cared about. My dad was a part-time, you know, he's bivocational, so he pastored a little tiny church in addition to farming anyway. But his roots were in the Amish community. And, of course, then his roots, when being bivocational, were in pastoring a church. 
So in driving for the Amish, he got to connect with these people who really, he identified with their culture. He could speak Pennsylvania Dutch and he connected with them. And so when there were things that would come up, you know, when there was a funeral, he would pick people up at 3.30 in the morning and drive them, you know, one state away, 400 miles, you know, for a funeral. So he could empathize with them. Being a pastor, he could empathize with them. He had a child that needed to go to Columbus, Ohio, to Children's Hospital repeatedly. He could empathize with them. It was, a, it was an extension of his heart for pastoring in that he would then drive a van. And he charged a dollar a mile. I mean, my goodness. I mean, I remember a lot of days where this was years and years ago, you know, where he would drive and get $500 because of just driving the van. While he connected with people, empathized with what they were going through, and yet it was a a money-making opportunity for him as well. So we all have the what of what we do, and we know how to do what we do. So in your dad's case, the what is he milks cows. How to do that? Yeah, you get up early, you get out there, you get the right machines. You know, you, he probably has raised milking parlors and pipes that put it into a big tank and all those kind of things. But the really important issue is why. And every person on the planet knows what they do. This is your job title, the products you sell or services you offer. And then how? I mean, most people, some people at least know how they do it. These are the things that you do that make you special or set you apart from your peers. There may be things that set your dad apart, but why? I mean, there are very few people who know why they do what they do. The why is not about making money. I mean, that's a result. The why is the purpose, the cause or belief. The why is the very reason you exist. That's very different than telling me you milk cows. No, that, I don't care what you do. It could be milking cows. It could be being a plumber, electrician, driving trucks, you know, whatever. It could be a dentist, a physician, an attorney. That's just the what. Why is your purpose? Help your dad walk into that. What is his why? And if you need some help, get Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. I mean, go with that. I mean, that's something that you can... Help him figure that out. Boy, what a great service for you as a son to be able to figure that out. And it's going to release the pressure of keeping the farm and the cows. It's going to help him see there's a whole lot more opportunities to continue his why, even if the cows and the farm are gone. Got a great question. I love it. Okay. Now, I've got one more that I'm going to unpack here. Just one more. Because it's so profound. And, and it goes to how I open today. This comes from Ben, who says, Dan, I've been thinking about the subject of inspiration lately. I'm a choral teacher and conductor, and I would consider myself very skillful at what I do. I set very high standards of music excellence and stretch my students to achieve more than they thought possible. My students seem to really enjoy my class, but I don't feel I'm very inspirational. I don't feel as if I'm ever going to be that teacher any of them remembers in 30 years. I've seen others who are less musically competent, but infinitely more inspiring. It might be their personality, life story, or any number of things that light the fire inside of others. I used to think that excellence is an art or profession that was inspiring. I used to think that excellence in art or profession was inspiring in its own right, but now I'm not so sure. What makes a person inspiring? And what can those of us who are not naturally inspiring do to grow in this area? Wow, love your question, Ben. 
again, you're a choral teacher and conductor. So you're just working with students. They may be there because it's just a class they're taking. You know, I'm not sure what the setting is here. But it reminded me immediately of Mr. Holland's opus. Remember that movie? Golly, just a great, great example. Uh, Richard Dreyfus was the teacher. And he was a music teacher in high school. But his real dream was to write this symphony. That's what he wanted to do. Well, that didn't happen. And then they cut the music program at the school. You know, gee, it's not that quantifiable. It's just one of those touchy-feely kind of things. It's more in the arts and crafts. Then they cut the, cut the music program, and he was forced into early retirement, thinking he was a failure, thinking that he hadn't accomplished what he really wanted to accomplish. I want to play just one minute from the closing scene in Mr. Holland's opus, where a lady who had been one of his students and is now the governor of the state came in and shared this. <laughs> Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. Okay, it makes me cry every time I hear that. It really does. I mean, you may be touching lives in ways that you can't see now. You may be part of the legacy for the students that you're teaching. I mean, you don't have to be, you know, the fancy cheerleader. You may never have your name in lights, um, but don't underestimate the power of what you're doing in creating the music as being a part of the lives of those you're touching. Now, I'm going to go through a list very quickly here because we're out of time. Here are ways to be inspiring. People who are aspiring are passionate about what they're doing. There's nothing that causes people to want to hook their wagon to your star more than you being passionate about what you're doing. They're grateful to their team. They have a clear vision for the future. They listen. They communicate impeccably. They are trustworthy. They express unerring positivity. You can be inspiring if you do those things. I'll list them again just quickly. Be passionate. Be grateful to the team that you work with. Have a clear vision for the future and share that readily. Listen carefully. Communicate clearly with people around your students. Be trustworthy. Know that if you say something, they can count on it. Honesty and integrity are just part of who you are. And then express 
unerring positivity. Positive about what you're doing. Those are things that inspire others. You can do those. You don't need another degree. You don't need anything. You can do those. And you can do those as a choral teacher and conductor. You know how I get excited about thinking about the possibilities of what it is you're doing. Go back and check out Mr. Holland's Opus. It'll inspire you. It certainly does me. I'm not a music teacher, but it inspires me indescribably every time I watch it or even listen to that little ending clip. Know your why. Listen to the, the part just before this, the gentleman where I was talking about. Know your why. Why is it you're doing what you're doing? Not, not just the what and the how of what you're doing, but the why. That's what will make you inspiring others. You can do exactly what it is that you're aspiring to do. Well, hey, thanks for this time together, all of you who are listening. As always, it's my delight, my privilege, and an honor to spend this time unpacking life together, talking about things that can take us to more success in multiple ways that we define it. Thanks for being part of this community where we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.